0: They're not doing it. Oh, we we got our group, and, and we're glad to have our group, and and they're good kids from good homes. But I looked at the guy that helped me on the stage, and I said, "How many of all that five hundred that we're looking out here in this funeral? How many do you think are are churched or going to church?" He said, "Maybe ten percent." And I got to thinking, we ain't doing such a hot job, are we? And I'm not talking about just solid rock because I know throughout the Baptist Convention and I know throughout this world we're struggling. And then a church not too long, too far from here, many moons ago that used to be kind of six flags on the expressway, sideway, had 500, 600 teens coming of of what I understand. I had a pretty good guy working with the youth and then the pastor ends up, marrying a man, and he's in Atlanta, and I go, golly, no wonder the teens look at us like we're crazy, like we don't know what we're doing. And no wonder the world's teenager looks at the church and just says, good night. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. Y'all are a bunch of nuts. We've got some real issues on our hands But I'm not here to try to settle all those issues. But I am here to say that if we have any friend whatsoever, the Bible says we have a friend in Jesus. These guys, if they're anywhere like my grandkids, when they got up getting ready to go back to school, they were nervous. One of my grandkids told me, he said, Dad, Papa, I'm nervous. I said, Why are you nervous? He said, Because there's a lot of kids we're going to be around. But then I realize that when you graduate from high school, how many of you here have graduated? Raise your hand. A few of you have, and you can verify. Well, I know you have mine. (laughs) So have I. But when you graduate, all of this big network of people go down to a small little group. Some of those major relationships that you had in school disappear. But the one relationship the Bible says that should never disappear is the one that we have. Listen to it. Proverbs 18, 24. There are friends who destroy each other, but real friends stick closer than a brother. John 10, 15, Jesus said, just as my father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life. For the sheep. Now you may not think that it's very glamorous to be considered a sheep, but Jesus is your shepherd. And if you're saved, if you know Jesus like you heard from the Awana video, if he lives within your heart, and you're one of his, man, have you not been given some wonderful things? And I want us to think about that this morning. Paul, while he was in prison, in 2 Timothy, writing to young Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12, said this For the which cause I also suffer these things, suffering in that he was in prison. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that God is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against the return of Jesus. Maybe today you're like the little boy that the traveling salesman came through town and he stopped and he asked this young little boy for directions. He said, Son, I seem to be lost. Do you know how to get to the next town? And he said, nope. He said, well, son, do you know how far it is to the next town? He said, nope. He said, well, do you know the name of the next town? Nope. Do you know the name of this road that leads out of here and where it goes? Nope. He said, son, you sure don't seem to know much, do you? He got kind of quiet, and then he looked at the old traveling salesman and said, sir, I know I ain't lost. Now, as a preacher for 38 years, I don't know everything. But there's one thing that I know. I ain't lost. I know Jesus lives within me. In this flesh, in this human tent, abides the Savior through the power and entity of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm thankful for Fanny Crosby who wrote this song Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation and purchased of love. Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. That, my friend, is a description of a saved person. A pastor who was asked by a dying man, my friend, what persuasion, as this pastor asked, this dying person, are you? He said, I'm of Paul's persuasion. He said, well, I'm afraid I I don't understand what you mean. He said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, there's the Methodist persuasion, and there's the Baptist persuasion, and there's the Lutheran persuasion, and the Catholic persuasion, and the full gospel persuasion, but you say you're of Paul's persuasion. What do you mean? I don't understand. He said, and he, he smiled, I know whom I believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until he comes to get me. That's Paul's persuasion. Hopefully today there's some of you in the house that have Paul's persuasion. First John, John tells it like this, 5 verse 13. These things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret over the fact of whether or not you are saved or not. Why? Because the provision has been made for you and I to be confident in our expectation of what Jesus has provided for you and I. We don't have to hope we're saved. We can know that we're saved. We don't have to live with uncertainty or doubts about our salvation, for the Bible says we may know that we have eternal life some of the most miserable people that I've ever met in this world are those who are uncertain about their salvation. There are those that are uncertain for a reason, number one. They're uncertain because they're not saved. They're uncertain because they're just going through the motions. They're uncertain because mainly Jesus does not live on the inside. Therefore, you're not born again. But then there's another faction of people, and I got caught up in that at an early age where I doubted my salvation every turn that I made. It seemed like that everywhere I went, I was always either on my knees or in my car saying, Lord, if I'm truly not saved, dear God, please save me. Some of you have wrestled with that same thing. I do believe as a pastor that you can be saved but have doubts about it, and I'll tell you why. If the devil cannot keep you from being saved, his next move is to try to keep you from knowing that you are saved. He knows that it's hard to enjoy and experience what you have if you're uncertain that you have it. If you walk around wondering, well, Jesus lives with them and Jesus saved me and I know I'm born again, I know I'm not. But then all of a sudden, he comes and tempts your mind and tests you and says, you're not saved, you're not saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't think that thought. You wouldn't have lust in your mind. You wouldn't cuss. You wouldn't lie. You wouldn't drink. You wouldn't do any of those things if you were saved. He'll mess with you, my friend, until you settle that issue between you and Jesus, and you have confident expectation that if you've asked him to come in, and he, listen, if you meant it, he came in, and he cleaned you up. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. That means he honored his word. Romans 10 says, if I'll confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and I'll believe in my heart that God raised Jesus, his son from the dead, I can be saved. And with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What does that mean? It means, dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I am acknowledge that I'm just downright sorry and that I need to be saved. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to save me and to forgive me for all the wrong. And if you can, name it all. You know what it is? When you stand up, I promise you, if the Holy Spirit puts you on your knees, when you stand up, it is the Holy Spirit that lives within your heart. Jesus makes some interesting passages and and, and scriptures about it in John 10. Listen to what Jesus said. My sheep... Recognize, verse 27, my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Did you hear what he said? Never, ever perish. I don't care what you think or say. If I'm saved, I ain't going to perish. Why? That's what Jesus said. He said in verse 29, my father has given to me and is more given us to him and is more powerful than anyone else. No one will snatch them out of, what's the word snatched mean here? It means to seize by force, to take them. No one will seize them ever again. Now, you can get mad about that if you want to, but I just can't get but glad. Mike, do you believe you deserve something like that? Why, no. My last name's Franklin. I don't deserve anything good like that. That's golden of what God said that he's done. You see, Jesus is pretty clear in that when he and you and I are saved, we're like this preacher. This preacher said that since he had gotten saved, he had drunk all the booze he wanted to drink, cussed all the cuss words he wanted to cuss, and partied as much as he wanted to party. He went on to clarify this. What he meant was, since I got saved, I don't want to drink no more. I don't want to cuss no more. I don't want to party no more. Because when I got saved, Jesus changed my want to. Now, look, I did every bit of that other junk. But I can remember this, guys. I was around 16, 17 years old. And when I got saved, All of a sudden, I messed up. I sinned. And you know what all of a sudden happened? Uh, What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Don't you know that's wrong? And all of a sudden, I said to myself, now, wait a minute. I've been doing this for a long time. Why all of a sudden now do I feel bad about it? It's because Jesus, through the Spirit of God, was now on the inside. And He gives us a godly conscience. It's called conviction of sin. And you and I can never live without being taunted by that when you and I choose, and that's a choice, when you slip into those things that you used to do. You see... Jesus said in, in John 10 28, I give unto you eternal life. You hear that? What does the word eternal mean? Hello. I hear I hear people say, Well, I was saved for about five years and then all of a sudden I lost it. What'd you have? Eternal life. I said, No, you didn't. You had five years salvation. Well, I saved about a year and fell off the wagon, and I lost Jesus. You did. Well, what'd you have? Eternal life. No, you didn't. You had one year salvation. Eternal means forever and ever. Millions and billions and trillions of years that we're going to be with Jesus. I just believe that saved people ought to want to go to church because they're saved. I'm going to tell you what, lost people ain't going to run to the church. And listen to this loud mouth. Listen to me be straight up and say, drinking is a sin. Listen to me and say, drugs is a sin homosexuality is a sin, adultery, fornication is a sin. You ain't going to want to hear that if you lost. Say, man, that preacher done gone nuts. I don't have to come listen to that. This is a volunteer thing. This is free. <laughs> I don't have to listen to that jump. Oh, preacher, you're a Baptist. And you know all Baptists believe once saved, you're eternally saved. No, they don't. No, they don't. You ever studied free will Baptist? Primitive Baptists? They don't believe in eternal security. Now, let me tell you something real quick. While it's true. I'm a Christian first, and I work under the denomination of a Baptist. It's more than that. I am a believer because Jesus is in me, and the doctrine of eternal security is more than a Baptist doctrine. It's a Bible doctrine. When Jesus said, I'll not pull out on you, and nobody's going to be able to snatch you out of my hand. When Paul makes uh, questions, Statements like, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, or powers, present thi- that things that are present, things that are to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Who gives us that? It's not us. We don't get salvation. We're given salvation. You don't keep salvation. It's kept by God as a position in Him. It's not something you earn. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Well, Mike, does that mean I can just live the way I want to? No. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things that you do right now every other day that if you got caught, you'd be in somebody's court, because it's wrong. The guarantee that you and I have is that we shall never perish. I don't believe Jesus could ever made that any plainer. I, do I have any English scholars in here? Well, I dare say I have any Greek, but may have one or two. This word never in the Greek is a double negative. If you remember your English classes, you know that double negatives occur when two forms of the negation occur in the same sentence. You would not say, I don't want nothing. That's a double negative. Boys and girls, when they talk about their girlfriends or boyfriends, they say, I ain't got nobody. Now, it's good Tennessee hillbilly talk, but it's double negative. In the Greek, though, double negatives were used to strengthen the denial. In other words, you could read what Jesus said, they shall never, not at all, in no case, nor ever perish. The four Greek words for the meaning of never is not at all, speaks of one time, it means not at all, or it speaks of one time, place, and purpose or one means, which is male or female, perpetually or eternally. If you put all those four Greek definitions for never together, here's what you got. Jesus said, I give you eternal life, and they shall not at all by any means, in any case, in any place, for any purpose, whether they be male or female, perpetually or eternally, Perish. That ought to make a Baptist shout. Why? Because it cannot be taken away from you if you're born again. If you're lost, you're going to bust hell wide open anyway. You got to get saved. You got to receive Jesus before it's eternally too late. And then Jesus, I promise you, will keep you. 1 John 4, 12 says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, and God, listen to this, if God dwelleth in us, his love is perfected in us. It's perfected. You can't add to it, and you can't take it away. 1 John 2, 5 says, but whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in Him, in who? In Jesus. In Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, I've tried to listen to every theologian I can to get the best interpretation of this passage. Listen to it. For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who were once enlightened those who had experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit and who had tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come and who then shall turn away away from it or from God. He says it's impossible to bring such people to repentance again because they're nailing the Son of God to the cross again by rejecting him, holding him up to public shame. What does that mean? It can only mean two things. Straight out. Number one, I used this against the guy, while well, I was actually witnessing to him. And I was trying my best to be the best witness I could. His name was Cowboy, and I was framing, he was framing years ago. He, he, he came to me, and said, Mike, I've lost my salvation. I said, ruh bro." He said, why'd you say that? I said, because if you've lost your salvation, you can't ever be saved again. Now, that was my understanding of that passage at that time. He said, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. If you show me a verse in the Bible like that, I'll believe you. But I ain't believing nothing until I see it. I said, go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. And you'll read, if you turn away or fall away, that it will be impossible for you to be renewed again unto repentance. He went back and read that. He came to me, and I'm honestly, I've never seen a white so white. And the boy got it right and got saved. But does that verse mean that? No. I sat down, and I wrote this paragraph in light of what I really believe. At this point, now listen, I've listened to Jerry Vines, Andrea Rogers. I've listened to Charles Stanley. I've listened to every doggone commentary. I've read everything that I can on this passage. And I always walk away a little bit inadequate about it. But as I begin to ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to me on this one, here's what I wrote. It is impossible to undo what God not only did but has done for you and I who are his sons and daughters eternally. It's impossible. Why? Why? Because it brings to the cross of Jesus open shame. Hey, I didn't say that. Who did? Paul. You say, what does that mean? That means if I believe that I can be saved and lose it, then that means that what Jesus did on the cross for you and me by not only shedding his blood and washing away our sin, past, present, and future. It means what he did on the cross is incomplete. And what Paul was saying, that you would have to bring to the cross open shame, which means Jesus would have to die daily for your sins and mine, and then, then would be going back to the Old Testament sacrifice. And Jesus ushered in the new covenant. So, you see, I believe with all my heart that what Jesus did on the cross was complete. It's final. And once you and I receive it, it's impossible, as Jesus said in John 10, for anybody to take it away. Now, if you teach anything other than that, in my opinion, you're on your own, you're in your own private interpretation, and you're going away what Jesus taught. You want to believe that other way? Go ahead. I don't care. But I'm not going to believe an error. One little boy got kind of feisty in church, stood up, and he was bragging to a bunch of his buddies. He pulled out his pocket knife. I'll find mine in a minute. I think every man needs a pocket knife. Not kids, but man. Kids will cut you. He took his knife out. He opened it up. He said, I just want you to know I cut the tail off of the most ferocious line that I've ever seen. Oh, man, everybody was intrigued. And they said, then why didn't you cut his head off? He said, somebody already had. <laughs> you turn over to 1 Peter, and here's what you find. The Bible says that the enemy... Satan is on this earth walking around, does it not? Seeking whom he may devour. Satan has a loud roar like, oh, he's going to get you. I'm going to get you. But he can't bite you. Want to know why? His teeth got knocked out on Calvary. He is a defeated foe. And don't let him tell you that he has power over you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is over this world and the prince of this air. Don't let the enemy fool you. You let him in, it's because you let him in. You gave him the right to come in. It's not because he has that right. A lawyer, well, actually two friends were in high school. One became a lawyer and one became the county drunk. The lawyer was elevated to the, to the position of a judge. The drunk, oh my goodness, he messed up bad. All the lawyers were wanting to find out just what was this judge going to do. I mean, it was his best friend in high school. He stood up before the judge. The judge said, is that that the plea? He looked to the crowd, and he gave the heaviest monetary penalty the law would allow. After the court was over, he derobed, he went to where the clerk where you pay your debt, and he paid the debt himself for his friend in full. You and I may never, 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 never have that kind of stuff going our way if we get caught messed up in court, but the Bible tells us that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, And he washed us white as snow. You know who paid your debt for your wrong? His name was Jesus. It was a debt that he didn't owe. And it was a debt that you couldn't pay. And he did it. That's pretty powerful stuff because, you see, you will never enter into heaven's gate. You will never see the pearly gates without the blood of Jesus washing away your sin.